finger guns coming in hot. In an underreported move, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis proposed a comprehensive anti-ESG bill. This bill could be a game changer, folks, in the political landscapes in regard to this very important topic. Also, there is a recently uncovered disinformation index blacklist that is impacting the news that you are seeing. Also, UFOs. We're going to be talking about this and more in episode 385 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In The Tank podcast. YouTube is still giving us all this uh, trouble over our intro music, so sorry for flip-flopping it constantly. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing great. It's a snow day. I got my snow flannel on, and it's snowing outside, so we closed the office and uh, broadcasting uh, from my uh, undisclosed location. I can't <laughs> tell anybody where I live. That would be pretty dangerous, but uh, good to be on the show again. Fantastic. Justin Haskins, how are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing pretty well. It's beautiful outside. I think it's uh, like 50 degrees. It's sunny. It's uh, it's great. It's really good. Fantastic. So I'm doing fine. Yeah. Great. All awesome. Yeah. Chris Talgo usually does the podcast from in the studio, uh, in the office, but... Because we closed it all down. He's trapped at home. He's got no technology over there. He's just got some sticks to rub together for heat. So he will not be joining us today. So we're going to have to do without him. But that's okay. Audio-only listeners who are catching the show on a Friday, probably. You can join us a day earlier. I'm not sure if you've heard this message. On a Thursdays at noon Central Time, where we are broadcasting live on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Rumble. You can join in the conversation Throw your comments and questions in the live stream there. Maybe we'll show your comment on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Um, also, you know, do that. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. Share this content. Even leaving a comment under the video all helps break through these big tech algorithms to prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Jim, about a week from now, you are going to be in Orlando, Florida, because we've got our 15th international conference on climate change happening uh week away sir what's uh any any new stuff you gotta break yeah well actually at this very time exactly one week from today uh i will be watching the lunch plenary session in fact at this very time uh ian plimer should be about a quarter of the way through his presentation uh he's a geologist from australia he'll be talking about uh, climate change from a scientific perspective uh like i said at this time next week so the the conference begins uh on um oh actually no i'm wrong it begins thursday night with one event so actually i won't be doing that friday is what you and Plyber will be doing that uh believe me i've been doing so much prep for this this week it's been uh late nights keeping this together so i'll get a little confused but it is february 23rd to 25th at the, uh, the the Hilton Orlando Lake Buena Vista Hotel in Orlando, Florida. If um, you live in Florida, you can still get tickets. If you don't live in Florida, you can still get a plane ticket and fly down and see this conference. It's fantastic. Some of our featured speakers are uh, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, who has uh, said of climate change that it is BS, although he didn't use the words BS. CNN got upset for him at saying that. And he said, well, I said that because I believe that is true. And in fact, <laughs> there's a lot to say about that. Uh, Representative Lauren Boebert, who is uh, you know a big conservative star, she's going to be there with us, but she's uh, not just really about politics, but she, her, uh, her history uh, with her family is in the energy industry. So, um, you know, she has a lot to say. There's going to be a lot of energy talk on it at this conference. Um, so if you want to understand what's actually happening to our planet, uh, from real scientists who are not there to scare you. They're there to inform you. Um, you should come and see this conference. If you cannot make it down to Florida in a week, and that might be hard for people to you know, raise your schedules to travel down to Florida, every single second of the conference will be live streamed 
uh, on YouTube, but you can get all of the feeds at uh, going to climateconference.heartland.org. Uh, I'm sure um, it's, it's going to be very easy for you to find. Uh, you can always just go to heartland.org. There'll be a link right there to to the live stream. So, um, you know, and if you are actually watching on the live stream, just like on this podcast, you can participate in the chat and ask questions during the panels and also during the big plenary sessions for the keynote addresses. So uh, if you can't make it there in person, you can still participate and watch this very informative and, and important climate conference. Yes, every single second. That includes uh, live footage of Jim with a camera on his chest trying to wrangle speakers at the last second before panel. So you don't want to miss that. That's going to be that's going to be the most interesting part of it. Yeah. Uh, yep. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. So Jim's not going to be here next week, folks. So you're going to have to tune in to, to that conference if you want to see any potential for Jim rants or just, you know, stick it out with us, uh, me and Justin and, and Chris for next week. But uh, so a lot to talk about, folks. Um, can we talk about UFOs, though? I mean, I mean, come on. That, that's that's the story that everyone's here for. Right. Uh, last week. A whole series of, of weird events started happening. Uh, started off, kicked off with the China balloon. That was the first thing. And then there was an object over Alaska on Friday that was shot down. And then on Saturday, there was two objects, one over Canada, one over Montana. Montana's airspace was shut down temporarily. Trudeau gave uh, an okay for U.S. fighter jets to shoot down an object over the object over Canada. And then another object on Sunday over Lake Michigan temporarily shut down airspace there and eventually was shot down over Lake Huron. So including the China balloon, we had four objects shut down, shot down uh, over and around the United States over the course of what, four or five days. But here's the kicker. We don't know what these objects were. And not only do we not know what they were, uh, they haven't been recovered yet. So they're floating out there somewhere. Basically, no information has been given. Lawmakers go to these meetings and, and leave saying, quote, uh, yeah, we have more questions than, than we got answers for. So, Jim, I don't think we've talked about this yet. Do you have any theories on what's going on? Uh, anything? Well, it, the big news was that asked directly if they're if these unidentified objects are not of this world, if they are extraterrestrial, that is the the Pentagon at, at first said we're not ruling anything out. And that was reflected in the media saying it could be UFOs. Oh, no. Uh, but, but if these are balloons, which which they probably are uh, and they're probably terrestrial in origin. Uh, you know, it couldn't have been from outside. You can't, you know, a balloon obviously would not survive entry into the atmosphere. So uh, that's pretty simple. But one thing I do know, we are not going to get a straight answer out of our government. Um, we will never really know what's going on. We'll never really know the extent of whether China or other countries are spying on the United States. We'll never get a straight answer about why this has been allowed to, to go on for a long time. Um, you know, from you know, a, a, an obvious Chinese spy balloon, you know, hey, let's just let it scan the entire United States uh, so, uh, over some of our most sensitive military positions or uh, facilities in America. And then once it's done with that and it's over the uh, the Atlantic Ocean, now we'll shoot it down. I mean, and now that was like from the Chinese spy balloon, right? And now it's like we're trigger happy about these things. As soon as we see it, boom, there goes a missile and it's gone. So I would actually, I don't think it's UFOs, but I would actually like an explanation as to what the hell's going on and why suddenly we're at a shoot first and ask questions later um, uh, policy with these things in, in the air. I don't know. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of want it to be aliens. I don't think it is, <laughs> but I want it to be aliens. And I've heard, you know, and I already see this kind of reflected in the, some of the comments that we're getting here that like, oh yeah, this is just a distraction. It's a distraction from, you know, uh, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop story. It's a distraction from the Ohio train derailment, which, uh, you know, I understand the instinct to, to, you know, consider all of these uh, potential theories. And in fact, the Ohio train derailment, I'm pretty sure that the Climate Change Reconsidered show, Heartland's other show that, that's on Fridays at noon, is going to be talking about that. So, um, you know, we're not going to be distracted from talking about that, folks. So don't worry too much there. But here's my theory. So, Justin, you and I talked about this a little bit, but this is my theory. I think uh, the Biden administration was embarrassed by uh, the, the China balloon situation. So to counteract that, they are like uh, trigger happy when it comes to any of these objects. And I've seen stories talking about uh, uh, 
uh, new technology or a new way of tracking different things using uh, military radar that's like being a little bit more sensitive and picking up more objects. So maybe that's why it's, you know, uh, these things are being brought to the attention of the people in charge of shooting stuff down over U.S. airspace. <laughs> and in order to not have another uh, embarrassment like the China balloon thing, they're just like, oh, yeah, we just got to shoot everything down. That way, the optics look like we're taking care of people and we're not going to let this happen again. And in reality, it is just like a balloon that escaped some kid's Christmas, uh, you know, a birthday party or something like that. And they know that, right? They know that, but it would be embarrassing to admit that. So they're just not going to say anything. That's my theory. It's not as sexy as, you know, it's UFOs from, you know, some other galaxy or something like that. But uh, Justin, have you put any more thought into this? It's all I think about, Donald. It's all I think about. <laughs> I don't think about anything else other than the blue. Look, look I, I think that uh, I t actually buy Donald's theory. We talked about it for a while. I think that's what it is. I think it's a combination of them being trigger happy and then blowing stuff up and then realizing after the fact, oops, it's not a Chinese spy balloon. So we're just going to say we don't know what it is. Can't find it. What do you mean you can't find it? What does that even mean? You shot, you shot it down. You blew it up. You saw it fall to the ground. You can't find it. Like that's that's an absurd that's an absurd statement. They can find they can find ships underneath the ocean on the bottom of the ocean floor yeah, right. that sank a fa like five hundred yeah, years Cameron ago. James Cameron on it. James Cameron yeah, will find yeah. these balloons. Like, yeah, but they can't find a balloon they just shot down last week. Come on, this is totally absurd. Um, if, the, if what's, what's strange about, so the alien thing, I think the reason why they were so willing to be like, well, I don't know, could be aliens, could be anything. We don't know. I think the reason they did that fits really well with, with Donald's theory, because it's like, it, they can't say they know what it is because if they know what it is, then that would have to admit that they blew something up that they shouldn't have. So instead of admitting that they blew something up that they shouldn't have, they just say, we don't know what it is. But if you don't know what it is, then you can't rule anything out. You have to rule in everything. It could be anything. Right. So they go with this, well, we don't know. Could be aliens. I don't know. We can't find it. We don't know what, what's going on. We're just blowing things up. But don't like, worry. But don't just, worry. Biden's there to protect you in case yeah, it was aliens. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's just like. It's just so it's so utterly absurd it, it, and 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 ridiculous. And Jim is right. Like we we at least deserve to know the answer to what it was. We did right. blow it up after all, and it was more than one. We blew up multiple things. Are <laughs> we just is our is our like national policy now? We just blow things up and then we don't ever talk about it again. Is that the is that the strategy? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a comment from Gary here that says uh, they found the UFO at Roswell and then claimed it was a weather balloon. And now we're in a time of our history where we shoot down weather balloons and be like, yeah, maybe it was a UFO. It's absurd. It's totally, it's totally absurd. I, I, I think more likely than not though, uh, I guess if you were going to look at it from a positive, like what's the positive thing here? Um, I would say that the, the signal. And if I had to guess, I would say this is probably what, what they're trying to do after the disaster with the Chinese weather balloon that we know was a Chinese weather balloon. They then come or a spy balloon. We, they then come out and say, you know what? Uh, we're going to blow everything up now. So if you send it across our skies, we're going to blow it up. <laughs> and we're serious. We're not just threatening because look, we just blew up these other things. We don't even know what they are. And we blew them up. <laughs> So if you think, China, that you're going to send any more balloons over here and that we're not going to blow them up, think again, because we right. blow up everything. That's what we do. That's our strategy. And so I have a feeling now that sounds crazy, but does that not sound exactly like something Joe Biden would say in a meeting where he's just like, you know what we need to do? We need to corn pop them. That's what we need to do. We need to send a message to everybody. So that they know they mess with Joe Biden, yeah. they're going to get smacked around. That's what's going to happen. I think that's totally what, what is going on here. Uh, all right. We have more important stuff to talk about, but it's just such an interesting story. But I will say, like, in the heat of it, especially after, like, several days in a row, airspace being shut down, stuff being shot shot down that's, like, you know, out, out of the norm for, for the news stories. There was a time, there was a point where I was like, what if this is aliens? But that kind okay. of quickly well, went Hold on, away. just wait, wait. Real real quick. If it is aliens, because we talked about this as well, that's also good news because it turns out 
we can just blow them up really easily. <laughs> yeah. We're actually no. really good at defeating the aliens. So after all these like scaremongering Hollywood films where the aliens are always knocking us around, yeah. turns out we just wipe the floor with them. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah, a we good didn't... thing too. We didn't realize that uh, the aliens come from a culture of thousands of years of being nerfed down by ESG type policies where their 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 UFOs are just like tinfoil that we could just knock out of the sky. No problem. Yeah. Well, wait, just one one last thing. It's like so there are still in the sky UFO, as Gary, our listener here, uh, pointed out, stands for unidentified flying object. That's it. There's nothing conspiracy theory about it. UFO just stands for. A, something in the sky that that a pilot an experienced pilot cannot identify they know what another plane looks like they know what a zeppelin looks like now we know what weather balloons look like uh that should they're aware they shouldn't be but you know if you remember you know if you watch tucker carlson there, there are things in the sky that our military pilots see that are going super fast um that they can't explain what that thing is how it's moving and all that stuff so um the, the theory if you remember the little tic tacs and some of them go into the water and come out and fly around i mean th- these are pilots who have been in the skies for their entire professional lives and don't know what the hell they're looking at. And the theory yeah. was that these must be from China. Now, if those are from China, what the hell's a weather balloon? You know, if they could do that, why would they send a balloon to float for three weeks across the country instead of just sending one of those things out there? So, you know, uh, I, I, I don't believe that the, there is alien technology flying around the world right now, but there's still a lot of stuff in the sky that we can't explain. And maybe we'll sure. actually, that's a serious thing. And I think we should probably get to the bottom of that. Yep, yep, yep. I'm sure Biden will be uh, right on it. He'll be forthcoming with any information, surely. All right. Big story, folks. Big story. This is a big one. Uh, As our listeners, our constant listeners should know by now, we've been at the forefront of the uh, ESG fight for a long time now. Uh, We were among the first to sound the alarm on the Great Reset and ESG back in, what, like 2020, I think? Justin and I worked with Glenn Beck to warn as many people as possible about the Great Reset. Great Reset and its backbone, environmental, social, and governance standards, which works like a social credit score for businesses around the world. Full implementation and adherence to ESG would transform our global form of capitalism into a system controlled by the ESG rule makers and their agenda. It's designed to enforce all of the worst aspects of climate change policy, DEI policy, and and has the potential to destroy any business or industry that falls out of political favor, think firearms manufacturing and sales. It's an end around to accomplish the goals that uh, would be out of reach politically. And since sounding the alarm, a ton of people have realized the harm and inherent risk of this system and have, too, joined the fight against ESG. This includes lawmakers and officials across the country. And as we've mentioned on the show numerous times, we're blown away by how the terms ESG and the Great Reset have so permeated the the uh, conservative lexicon like it's just you know you can't turn on fox news without hearing someone talk about esg every other day this traction has resulted in a lot of action on the state level states throughout the country have begun fighting back uh considering and in some cases passing legislation targeting esg in some cases state treasurers have used their power to curtail aspects of esg and this has all been great But uh, one could argue that it's all been baby steps in a fight to take down a system that is so well supported from the most powerful and influential institutions around the world with financial support to the tune of hundreds of trillions of dollars. Well, just this week, we got a huge piece of news. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, on the day before Valentine's Day, trying to capture my heart, announced comprehensive anti-ESG legislation aimed at protecting the state's citizens, taxpayers, businesses, and industries from these ESG standards. So, Justin, you brought this to my attention. Do you want to run through the proposal and explain why it might be the best anti-ESG legislation that we've seen yet? Right. So there have been uh, a number of states that have proposed various solutions to ESG, some better than others, but a whole bunch of states. It's more than 30 that have proposed at least something. 11 states have actually passed ESG bills of some kind or have put ESG restrictions in place at the executive branch level or through like a straight treasurer's office or something like that. All of those things are really, really positive. Anything we can do to limit ESG is a is a good thing. However, most of the things that have been done so far in ESG, or, or essentially all of them, have dealt with one of two issues or, or both. 
It's either um, about dealing with state contracts so that it's trying to restrict governments from working with institutions that are actively trying to impose ESG. So for example, BlackRock uh, is out there trying to force people to adopt ESG principles. And um, in, in particular, they want to run the fossil fuel industry completely out of business. And so what governments started doing is saying, well, gee, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, we do business with fossil fuels. We're It's a huge part of our economy. So why are we doing business with people who are trying to destroy a huge part of our economy? Similarly, another sort of uh, a strategy for limiting ESG has been to deal with it from the pension perspective. There's all these big public pensions. They have massive amounts of money, public pension funds in the United States. You know, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars, right? And these pension funds have largely been very supportive of ESG social credit scores. And so what some states started doing is saying, whoa, 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 we're not going to give public money, which is what ends up in a pension fund, right? That's that's coming from taxpayers. We're not going to use public money to undermine our economies and to limit people's free speech rights and other things, which is all part of ESG. That's what's been done so far. And that's all really good and important stuff. But what this bill does that's being proposed in Florida, what it would do if it passes, is it would do those things. It would do a lot of those things, some of which have already started happening in Florida through the executive branch, but this would codif codify some of that in the law. But in addition to that, it would also put restrictions on banks and other financial institutions who are using social credit scores as a way to coerce individuals and businesses and whole industries to move toward the left on a variety of different causes. So the way that has worked historically is you have a bank and or or an insurance company or whatever and they'll say, "Okay, um do you have you know, if you have a delivery service, let's say, they want a loan, a small business loan or something. Okay, do you, do you have any plans of buying electric vehicles? No. Do you use electric vehicles in your fleet right now? No. Oh, you do use electric vehicles. Well, how many? Oh, just a couple? Okay, well, we want you to use all electric vehicles. So if you want a loan from us, you have to have all electric vehicles, okay? Or in some cases, we've heard stories of, of financial institutions telling customers, how committed are you to battling climate change? Have you said this publicly? Oh, you haven't said this publicly? Could you post a statement online saying publicly what your views are on battling climate change? And then maybe we could do business with you. We actually have that. Literally that. happened. That literally, literally happened. <laughs> so we have all kinds. It's not just about climate change and energy and stuff like that. That's a big part of it. It's about all kinds of other things too. Uh, the entire gun industry, um, manufacturing, sellers, et cetera, they have been screened out of certain banks. They've said, we're not even going to do business with you if you're involved in this in any way, right? So that's what that, that's what banks and financial institutions are doing. Insurance companies are doing the same thing. And they've, they've been very explicit. They're going to expand this dramatically in the coming decades. So what you're going to have is the financial sector is going to essentially impose left-wing ideology on the entire country. And not just in America, but in Canada and in Europe too. On everybody, whether you want to do it or not, because if you can't get a bank loan, if you can't get a, a mortgage, if you can't get a car, if you can't get insurance, then you can't exist as a business and basically as an individual that owns any property. So through those means, they're controlling people. That's the plan. So what this legislation is going to do in Florida, if it passes, is it's going to stop, at least in Florida, because obviously it's a state bill, it's going to stop financial institutions operating in Florida from using ESG and non-financial factors from making these decisions. So banks and financial institutions can still say, hey, you're not, you know, we're not going to give you a loan because we don't think you can pay back the money. But, or we're not going to give out a loan because, you know, we have some other sort of financial concern. But they're not going to be able to say, uh, you voted for Donald Trump and you posted it on social media, so we're not going to give you a loan. Or you worked as a volunteer in the Trump administration, and so we're not going to give you a loan. Or we don't like this thing you said about XYZ issue of the day, transgenderism on social media, so we're not going to give you a loan. Or you don't have enough electric vehicles, so we're not going to give you a loan. Or you don't say that you're a climate change warrior, so we're not going to give you a loan. Or we're not going to give you insurance. Or we're not going to let you have a bank account with us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This, this legislation would aim to stop all of that so that you have to base the decisions 
on financial considerations alone and let the free market be the free market. If you're a business and you're a public business and you're operating in the public marketplace, you should be open for everybody uh, as long as they're not doing something illegal and as long as they're financially qualified. And that's what this bill would do. And if it passes, it would be the first time that anything like that has passed uh, in, in, at the state level. Um, and at the federal level, we've had regulations like that under the Trump administration, but Biden got rid of those. And so now there's no protections for individuals now at all on ESG. So that's what this would, would do. Jim, it seems like we've come a long way from ESG being like a term that just kind of came off as, as jargon, investment jargon that everyone just like, ah, whatever. I don't know what that is. Don't care. Now we're getting to this point where it's like getting center stage attention. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this story? Yeah. I mean, it's great that people, and I know that the work of the Heartland Institute uh, has had a lot to do with this. People are getting wise to ESG. You're, you're seeing references to it. I watch a lot of um, pop culture, um, kind of nerd comic book movie stuff, uh, channels on on YouTube, even if I don't even watch the movies, I just think their critiques of, of our pop culture are very interesting to watch because it's a critique from the idea that, that leftism and the message of DEI and all that stuff is just, it's just soaking our pop culture right now that it's not there to entertain us anymore. It's there for propaganda. And, and some of these guys, you know, over the last just maybe six months are referring, they're using the term ESG. Um, they're putting that into their reviews. They're, they're talking about these issues. They're talking about the Great Reset. Um, it's mentioned during their live streams and some of the produced videos they do. Nerdrotic is one of those channels. I highly recommend people. Our listeners here are mostly, I would imagine, on the right. Um, his, his, his videos are very entertaining. But they are awake. You know, They're not woke. They're awake to the, to the indoctrination by the left into almost, in, not almost, every aspect of our government, academia, and culture. And what's going on, going on with ESG and why it's so great that uh, Ron DeSantis is pushing back on this and it's gonna have a domino effect. There'll be other states that are going to take just as strong measures as DeSantis did or even stronger because this is fighting, frankly, fascism. That's what this is straight up. Um, the left, the deep state, whatever you wanna call it, they're not satisfied with the laws that they have passed and the regulations that they have uh, implemented and the control they have over academia and the culture and Hollywood and all that stuff, they need to go farther. They have to have now control of the banks. They have to have complete control. And what ESG really is at its essence is fascism, a, a partnership between the agenda of the government, which is dominated by the left, not just the United States, but all around the world, and using business the only place where people might be able to escape in a quote unquote free market is, is commerce in business. So now they've roped that in too. And that's actually the most powerful weapon they have in their arsenal to impose a leftist socialist agenda on the United States and the world. And it is, as Justin explained, oh, you think you can participate um, in, in commerce and have a business without adhering to our ideology? Here's news for you. You won't be able to because we won't allow the banks to lend you money to start a business unless you adhere to all of our ideology. It is enforcement of leftist ideology through uh, especially the banking system, but it's like a complete whole uh, holistic enforcement of leftist ideology. They're trying to make it impossible to escape it and you can't have your own, uh, your own ideas. It has to be the left's ideas. And if you don't adhere to them, you're out. You're out of our commerce system. You're out of Hollywood. You're out of academia. You're out of everything. And so that's why it's super important that, um, you know, if you're on the right and you think, you know, blocking ESG mandates is somehow an intervention in the market, you need to get awake. You need to understand what's happening here. Um, it's, it's not an intervention in the market so much as it is a protection of free markets and freedom and liberty. That's why it's so great what's happening here. And it needs to spread because it's not going to happen from the federal government. It's going to have to happen state by state. Right. Yeah. In addition to releasing a press release, Governor Ron DeSantis also held like a 30 minute long press conference where he talked about the legislation and and the threat of ESG. And I think we have a clip from that conference. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and play that clip. The subject of today uh, is tackling this issue of ESG. Now, they created this. These things just happen. I don't know where this stuff comes from. 
but these elites grab it and they really want to impose it on the rest of us. So uh, it's called environment social governance, but basically I think what it's devolved into is a mechanism to inject political ideology into investment decisions, corporate governance, and really just the, the everyday economy. Uh, that is not ultimately something that is going to work out well for us here in Florida or in the United States of America. There's not a real groundswell for this from amongst the average uh, citizen. I think this is something where you have uh, a lot of folks, not just in the United States, but internationally. Sometimes they convene in places like Davos, and they have these ideas to try to do this. Yeah, so the the whole thing was, like I said, like 30 minutes long. I watched the entire thing. I thought it was a really good press conference. And and you can tell just by the way that the conference was set up that it was kind of like a big to-do. They had like the little signage on the podium. It seemed like there was a bunch of people in the crowd. He had like five other people that he brought up on stage at one point to talk about different aspects of BSG. So it seemed it wasn't just some like, oh, yeah, we're kind of doing this on the side. It seemed like a very important deal for him. Uh, but as I was watching it, I noticed a couple of things uh, that uh, that kind of struck me. So one is his messaging was on point. I mean, we've heard people talk about ESG that is just like, yeah, I think you kind of get it. It really seems like Ron DeSantis gets it, or at least like he's just like like he was just recently starting to fully get it. So he correctly recognizes the magnitude of this problem. There's too many people on our side of the aisle for far too long that just kind of wrote off ESG as just like a bad investment strategy and nothing more than that. And I mean, that is the case. It is a bad investment strategy, but it's far more than that, as Jim and, and Justin already explained. Uh, the second thing that struck me was he references how ESG is pushed by um, uh, that it's an elite driven agenda. He mentions that it's an elite-driven agenda multiple times. Even in that clip, you heard him mention Davos specifically. Uh, he mentions Davos like several times during this entire conference. And he mentions how ESG pushes policies that would that would not be able to get through uh, the standard legislative process. And he also brings out at one point a firearm business owner who had already been victimized by ESG. This guy explains how his bank shut down his accounts because uh, not of any financial reasons, but just because of the type of business he was involved in. And this highlights just how ESG can continue to transform and quash any industry that kind of falls out of political favor. So all of these things were highlighted very nicely during this press conference. Justin, did you watch the whole press conference? Uh, did you have any other takeaways or anything you want to uh, reply to of the stuff I just said? I think you're exactly right. Ron DeSantis clearly gets it. Um, the only other thing that I would I would add um, is that I think it's important because we at the Heartland Institute in particular, we have a special place in our hearts for uh, state lawmakers. We've been working with state lawmakers uh, very closely for a long, long time. They don't get a whole lot of credit oftentimes for things that happen. Um, because governors are usually the face of these things at the state level. And most people are focused on what's going on in Congress and so, or the president and UFOs distracting everybody. And so, um, state lawmakers don't get a lot of credit, but state lawmakers really are in many cases, some of the, the unsung heroes of these things and state lawmakers uh, have been pushing for this all across the country, even in states where they have no chance of passing it in places like Minnesota and even in Rhode Island, we had a state lawmaker reach out to us about this. Um, and so state lawmakers all across the country are the heroes of this. And in Florida, uh, unlike in certain other places where you might have some people in, uh, you might have a governor who wants to do something on ESG, but people in the leadership of the legislature don't, or you might have uh, legislative leaders who, uh, who want to do something, but the governor doesn't. What makes Florida really special in this case is that you have both the governor, Ron DeSantis, obviously a huge figure in Florida and nationally pushing for this, but you also have the Senate president, Kathleen Pasadomo, who's a big supporter of this as well, and the House Speaker, Paul Renner, and um, Representative Rommel and other people in the legislature who are not necessarily in leadership roles, but who have been advocating for something being done on this issue, who also deserve a lot of credit. They're a lot of people in the legislature in Florida are behind this. And so 
if it becomes law in Florida, it's not going to be because Ron DeSantis is emperor of Florida and he proclaimed that it would happen. It's going to be because Ron DeSantis and a bunch of other people all working together as a team have pushed for this and, and are going to get it across the finish line. So um, huge, huge news from Florida, not just because Ron DeSantis is behind it, but because you have lots of people in the legislature there making the right decision. And hopefully I'm, I'm so hopeful that this is going to be a turning point for ESG uh, nationwide because, because of who Ron DeSantis is because of how important Florida is because of how successful Florida has been because everyone in leadership at the, at the, in the house, the Senate and in the governor's mansion are all working together. This is the blueprint. So Texas I'm I'm looking at you in particular. Why are you letting Florida mop the floor with you? I don't know. Maybe you should do something <laughs> on this. Um, you know, other states need to get on board. So, yeah, well, well, Jim, you you kind of mentioned it that uh, you know you would hope that this that this kind of spreads across states. Uh, mm-hmm. In the press conference, Ron DeSantis says that he's excited that Florida is leading the way on this fight against ESG, and that he hopes that other states will follow suit. Um, I mean, this this could be like even bigger news than what is happening in Florida. You know, Florida doing something like this would be fantastic. But the greatest impact that this could has have is if this starts off like a domino effect. You see Texas follow suit and then followed by a whole bunch of other red states. And then it just goes across the country. Is that is that am I being too hopeful there? What do you think? Well, actually, I want to ask Justin if that's too hopeful, because, you know, he and I have had uh, private conversations about this topic uh, for years now. And it's it's I think, Justin, you'll have to remind me, how much capital does BlackRock control and how much capital does Vanguard control? Like the the big three who are all pushing this ESG, they're using their muscle. How much how much capital are we talking? Yeah, it's it's it. Well, it's complicated because the numbers are a few years old and the stock market has gone down since those. But uh, the big three, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 trillion dollars in capital. Yeah. Right. So, so, so every, you know, when, when something good would happen on the ESG front, I'm like, wow, that's good. I think West Virginia, you know, maybe a year ago put something out. It's like, so see, see, that's good. And you're like, dude, we're talking about $20 trillion of capital. That is not going to do anything, you know, withdrawing your, your, uh, your pension fund for instance, from Vanguard or something, isn't going to stop them from doing ESG. That's, they won't even notice that. That's not even a, that's not even a, a, a pimple on a, on an elephant. That's, it's not even, it's, it's a, it's a gnat, it's a, it's, it's a gnat flying past the earth. I mean, it's nothing, but, but I think, you know, as we're talking about here, this is, seems to be something fundamentally different. And we have seen stories coming from time to time where, you know, these, these, uh, these funds look, they're in the business. <laughs> they may be uh, they may be spiritual socialists, but they're still capitalists at heart. They still want to make money. They still have a fiduciary duty to do that. They just seem to be able to think they could have it. Uh, they can have their socialism and their capitalism together. They can enforce socialism on the people, uh, but rig the system so that they're the ones who make all the money uh, to hell with everybody else. who just may get crushed on the way. But that seems to me to be the way, uh, you know, it was playing out. But now it seems like there's it's they're starting to get a little wobbly, um, and, and it's not just this Florida thing. There's some other there's some other areas. You see stories where like yeah, you know, ESG maybe not. Um, I think we need to focus on on profitability and things like that. So actually, I'd like to hear Justin, you know, not defend himself, but convince me again that this is different. You know, we are we are talking twenty two trillion dollars of capital, which is more power than frankly all the governments in the world combined, perhaps. Because it's economic power, and that yeah. seems to, that's permanent, and 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 that lasts beyond any certain politician or even regime in a in a country anywhere in the world. Yeah. So let me start off by making my job harder, and then <laughs> um, I will, you know, hopefully make people give people the impression that there's no need to jump off a bridge after that. Um, it's not just the big three. There's a group called Principles of Responsible Investment. There's another group called, this is an international group, and there's another group called um, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. Both of those have kind of emerged out of the United Nations movements. These are international movements promoting ESG. There's a heavy focus on climate change and energy and stuff like that, but there's also a focus on other things as well tied up in all of this, right? Those The members of those groups who have signed up to them, we're talking over a hundred trillion dollars. Okay. Over a hundred trillion dollars, far, far more than the entire GDP of the United States of America. 
Okay, so we're we're talking about massively, massively wealthy institutions, governments, pension funds, um, and private investors and investment management firms and all of that. And they take that wealth and they use it to vote their shares and to coerce people and to use their financial power to impose their will on others. And that is way more money, way more money than all the Republican pension funds in the world combined. All the conservative pension funds all across the planet cannot equal that much wealth. All right. So that's that's the scary thing. That's the hard part in all of this. But that's why it's so important for this fight to not only be focused on let's make sure that our money is going toward the right cause, which is what the first two kinds of proposals that, that I mentioned earlier, the contract thing and the pension fund uh, restrictions, those things are good and we need to do everything. We need an all of the above approach, okay? No doubt about it. But those things on their own can't beat a hundred plus trillion dollars. It's just mathematically impossible. So you're if you're always going to go where the money is and that's all this is going to become, then we're going to lose. That's obvious. So what, what makes this bill different is they're not just saying, Florida is not just saying, hey, uh, we're not going to put any of our public dollars towards us anymore. We're going to put it in things that are actually opposed to it. They're saying that plus we're not even going to let you do business in Florida if that's how you're going to act. If you're going to start silencing people and you're going to force fossil fuel industry at large to die and you're going to make everybody buy an electric car and you're going to make everybody put solar panels on their roofs and they're going to make everybody live in ways that they don't want to live. You're going to silence people on social media. You're going to do all this other stuff. If that's how you're going to act, then you're not welcome in Florida. We'll, we'll have other businesses in Florida who will make lots of money here not doing that. And so it's normally... We don't like regulations. We're conservatives. We don't like that. But in when you have a cronyist corrupt system, which is unfortunately a lot of our economy is like that right now, then you need to make sure that if you are going to put regulations in place, they're enhancing liberty, enhancing freedom, improving the free market. And that's the point of all of this. So I think that's what differentiates this from everything else. In the same way that we have laws, and this is really important for people to, to get, we have laws on the books right now that say you can't, if you're a, a business, say, sorry, you're black, so I'm not going to serve you here. Okay? Everybody has that law. Nobody has a problem with that. All we're saying is let's do that plus let's not discriminate against people because of something they posted on social media or because they voted for Donald Trump or because they voted for Barack Obama or whatever. Let's just say if let's just make business about business and leave all these other non-business factors out of it so that we don't have widespread discrimination. That's all we're saying. And I think that's a completely reasonable policy to put into place. So there's, there's one other aspect of this that I want to address. And we have another topic that I want to get to, <clears throat> but uh, Justin, uh, do you remember probably a year ago, maybe even longer? I have no sense of time anymore ever since having a kid, but uh, we were talking about like the, the rosiest of scenarios. What are the best case scenarios when it comes to this fight against ESG? And I remember us talking about like, wouldn't it be great if someone like, I don't know, Ron DeSantis made this issue one of their core issues, and then he decided to run for president. And this became like a platform for his campaign. And I feel like after this announcement and this press conference, like we're right there. <laughs> like <laughs> This could be, this could be a thing, you know? Yeah. And then not only that, but, um, What's his name? Vivek Ramaswamy, right? Is that his name? He's yep, like a big anti-ESG yeah. guy. He's considering throwing his hat in the in the ring to to run for president. And it's like between DeSantis and him being part of the conversation, it's like surely, surely this uh, ESG, this anti-ESG talking point uh, uh, platform is going to get a lot of spotlight. Uh, you know, in the in, you know among contenders of the Republican primary. Uh, do you have any comments on that, Justin? Yeah, I think that the only real solution long-term is you have to have a federal law that does that. Long-term, there's got to be a federal law, okay? You can't just have these policies in Florida and Texas and then that's it. Like, we, if we're really going to stop this from becoming a, an issue nationwide, we need a federal law. And there were federal regulations put in place under Trump and then that 
that fell away because Biden came in and you can easily get rid of an executive order, can easily be rescinded. You can make a new executive order that does something else. And that's exactly what, what Joe Biden did. So we need a federal law in place that protects people. And I think the only way that's going to happen is if ESG becomes a national issue. And the only way that's going to happen is if you have, or the most likely way that will happen is if it becomes an issue for the presidential campaign. That's the primary way you get issues on the national stage. And the only way that's going to happen is if we have people who run for office that care about it at the federal level to have a chance of actually winning or at least making some noise. And all of that, you know, when we first started talking about this stuff, that didn't seem likely. <laughs> no. There's a lot of ifs in there. If, right. if, 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 if. And it does seem like all those things are happening. Right. And I, I, it is remarkable and very unlikely, um, but or it was very unlikely. It seems more and more likely as time goes on. If Ron DeSantis really does make this a pillar of his campaign going forward, assuming he runs for president, and I think he will, um, other candidates will have to respond to it. They'll have to do something about it. And let's be honest, right now, it's looking more and more like the two people most likely to be president of the United States uh, on the Republican side is either going to be Donald Trump, who really has never said anything about this, or Ron DeSantis, who has said a lot about this now. And I don't think that you're going to have to do much convincing to get Donald Trump to go after the woke corporate media yeah. and all this other stuff. I'm pretty sure he, right. he's probably fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> Just he'll, no one's brought it up to him yet. Yeah. Something. He'll accuse Ron DeSantis of being too soft on ESG yeah. and he'll go even harder. Yeah. Ex exactly. <laughs> That's and so what we need. I, we need an anti ESG arms race between all of the political candidates running for the primary of the Republic. Agreed. And so that's, that is, that is the hope. And I do think there's good reason to believe that that could happen. Uh, Jim, I'll give you a final word, but I do want to move on to the next topic. Sure. I mean, I just, let's just let's just actually take a moment and enjoy the fact that we are at this moment in the pushback against ESG, because the proponents for ESG have literally everything working in their favor, or they have until now. ESG stands for environment, you know, basically protecting the environment, uh, you know, social justice, and you know mm -hmm. that that has a, that has a well, not with us, but for a lot of people, that has a good connotation. And governance, in other words, governing, uh, you know, good governance practices, right? You know, that's propaganda, but they have that in the very name of it, you know. And so the idea that uh, we're able to successfully communicate that what ESG actually is is leftist fascism, <laughs> which is the imposition of an ideology against the will of people. There's going to be no voting on that. There's going to be no discussion about that. It's just going to be imposed and imposed by the most powerful uh, entities, literally the most powerful entities on earth, that being, um, you know, big finance. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's enjoy this uh, little victory. We need about uh, a thousand more of them. But, right. <laughs> but, you know, that's how an, an avalanche starts with one pebble. That's uh, right. And maybe that's what's happening here. Uh, yes. So I, I want to, th this next story is a kind of related uh, to this whole idea. And, and it's, it's a story that was brought to my attention by a, a town hall uh, article. So we, we've been covering on the show a whole lot about, you know, censorship of conservative thought on social media and the internet and all of that. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, even once or twice, you've probably heard us talking about it. So I was sent this article from Town Hall, uh, which we have a lot of op-eds that are published in Town Hall all the time. And it's titled Secret Blacklist Exposed, Town Hall Labeled Reprehensible and Offensive on List Targeting Advertisers. So Jim or Justin, you can correct me if I'm wrong in my assessment here. But from what I understand, there is a nonprofit in the UK called the Global Disinformation Index, who put together an index composed of what they consider peddlers of disinformation. The index includes a lot of popular websites, including American Thinker, who they labeled false and misleading, Town Hall, which they labeled reprehensible and offensive, which is just like, okay. Uh, Glenbeck.com, which they labeled false and misleading, Drudge Report, Newsbusters, CNS News, a whole bunch of other ones. You can see the list there. At least that's part of the list uh, if you're watching the visual component of this podcast. And well, okay, great. Like, who cares? You know, we could put together a list called the Global Losers Media Index and put MSNBC and CNN right at the top. You know, we could do the same thing. 
Well, it appears as though advertisers are using this index as a roadmap to identify sites that they should not advertise on, potentially financially harming said sites. So, Jim, I mean, this kind of seems like par for the course at this point, but like, man, it's just getting brazen. What do you think? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> what was it? I think we talked about this on uh, on Slack messaging each other, and I, I may have typed the words. Um, you know, sometimes you're not paranoid. Sometimes they really are out to get you. And uh, <laughs> this is one of those cases. And like we know that, that uh, you know, right wing, or I should say, I like to frame it this way. We do know that non-leftist speech and communication is has been for years suppressed on social media giants like Twitter and especially Facebook, which people don't talk enough about. Uh, there's a lot of suppression going on there. Um, but now to have it extended to, yeah, so there are there are monopoly or monopolistic uh, positions in advertising, digital advertising. It's not all Google ads, there are others, um, although it's mostly Google ads. But my, my, my point being, there are very few avenues that you can go if you run a website like Town Hall or Red State or something where you can attract advertising to help support yourself, your website, and your writers. And here we have exposed a conspiracy to label everything that is not leftist as right here, every, every false misleading. And I think Town Hall's uh, uh, was like reprehensible and offensive. Town Hall, repre reprehensible and offensive. False and misleading. Wasn't a strong enough uh, insult or lie, I should say. About <laughs> yeah. They have to call it reprehensible and offensive. And, and I'm offended by that, or actually we should be flattered by that because uh, Chris Talgo, Justin Haskins, and others at the Heartland Institute are published on Town Hall every week. Uh, so we're, we're among the reprehensible and offensive people here uh that's the probably why they got labeled that <laughs> probably but but the, my point being that uh you know th there is a global conspiracy there's let, let's just say this it's remarkable how much coordination has been going on behind the scenes to make sure that anybody who disagrees with the leftist message is silenced they will be silenced they will be shadow banned they will be um they will be shamed they will be called out they will have mobs uh, come to their homes. Um, they, they will have their jobs uh, put in peril because the leftist mob online will come after them. And now we have it. And now we have proof here that uh, the the system has been rigged so that uh, anything that's non-leftist will be called false, misleading, reprehensible, and offensive. And and thus nobody should be um, letting them their their uh, their businesses advertise on those sites because they wouldn't want to be associated with this kind of stuff. Well, and, the, and, the, and the fact that it's all just taken, it's just all, they all just take their word for it and go ahead. Okay, great. I guess you're right that uh, Charlie Kirk, uh, his website shouldn't get any advertising because that would be hateful and all that stuff. And it's only after it's exposed, do they back off? You know, in other words, there's nobody in any of these institutions, nobody of, of who, who is of honest mind who thinks to themselves, this sounds wrong to me. I don't think we should be singling out viewpoint discrimination. Nobody. Right. anywhere has a hint of a, a pang of conscience to say that in a room with other people. That's what I think one of the big stories here is. Well, well, let's be clear too, because I've always said that the left is really good at the linguistical battles here. And then they always put us in a position where we're over here seemingly defending misinformation. And that is not the case. That's not the case when it comes to like hate speech either. It's like, what is, who's in charge of labeling this stuff disinformation? Who's in charge of labeling this stuff uh, a hate speech or something, you know, it's like if, if Justin runs an article talking about how, uh, you know, X policy is a, a, a bad course to pursue. Oh, that's, that's disinformation. It's like, what? No, it's just like his opinion based on all the information that he's come across. So that's where this gets like really insidious, but I just wanted to make that point. But Justin, uh, how did we get to this point? Like, it just it just seems like this was not a thing that many years ago. I feel like if you lined up all of the biggest libertarian and limited government thought leaders like 20 years ago and asked them like a series of hypothetical questions like like uh, Milton Friedman, you know, what if there was a social media company that was so influential that they essentially controlled the media consumption of tens of millions of people and they decided what content that they would allow to be shared on their site? Like, what would you do? Or what if advertisers all adhered to a politically biased disinformation index that unfairly labeled their political opponents of the index as bad? 
Or, or what if a cabal of the most influential people and organizations created a massive social credit system that rewarded or punished businesses depending on whether they pushed a specific agenda? I think Milton Friedman would look at you like you were a crazy person. But yet this is the reality that we find ourselves in today. What do you think about that, Justin? Yeah, I, I think I think that if you start from that perspective, you start with that part of the equation, then yeah, it, it seems like <laughs> that 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 stuff does not seem like likely to have, especially back, you know, we're talking 10, 20, especially 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. The idea was that no, no, the, the free market will make sure that's the the supply and demand and market forces, that's going to keep things from getting off the rails because at the end of the day, people want to make money. So they're not going to do these things. They're not going to have advertisers saying, we're not going to advertise with town hall because they can make money at town hall. They're not right. going to do that. You're not going to have banks say, we're not going to give loans to qualified applicants because they don't drive an electric car because they want money. They want to make money, right? That was the idea. If you start from there it doesn't, I don't think it makes sense. And I think you would have people who say, I don't know, it doesn't, I think I would have said that five years ago, probably, right? right? So, but if you, but if you start from the perspective of what I think is the foundation of all of this, this is the endless constant printing of money coupled with cronyism from government mixing in with corporations and financial institutions and working hand in hand with them, and you say, and you start from there and you go to Milton Friedman 50 years ago and you say, okay, imagine a, a, an America 50 years from now where the Federal Reserve is printing trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that it doesn't really have. It's just inventing it. And then it's distributing it to banks, which are working hand in hand with government and and insurance companies and BlackRock and all these other big investment management firms on Wall Street. And they're taking that money and they're giving it to people who they think the government likes and they're withholding it from people the government doesn't like. What do you think that world would look like? I don't think he would say, well, given those parameters, hopefully that doesn't happen. I don't think he would say, well, that's, you know, that's crazy. I think he would say, if that's, if that's what happens, if the Federal Reserve really does just go off the rails and prints trillions and trillions of dollars and at will and just starts giving it to big institutions in bed with government, we're in, you're in trouble. You're in real trouble. I, I think he would completely understand that. And I think that's what's going on here. I don't think this is just people choosing. Th these aren't Bernie bros, okay, right. that are the head of these big corporations like Bank of America. Like Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, isn't a Bernie bro, okay? Bernie Sanders isn't going to Davos. He's not welcome there, okay? The reality is uh, you've got people like uh, Greta Thunberg outside singing songs about how everybody inside Davos is a an a-hole, okay? That's basically <laughs> what's going on. So the people who are in charge of this are doing it because they can make money and control the world. They can do both. And isn't that great? And is And that is how every corrupt society has always operated the soviet right. union was the same way they were all communists until they realized hey we could be rich too then they stopped being communists and they just became authoritarian cronyist quasi yeah exactly and that's what's going on here too but from the opposite end of the spectrum where they started as a free market they started with worrying about market forces and now they've moved into well you know it would be easier than this whole supply and demand thing and making goods and products that people like and winning over customers it would just be easier if, if the federal reserve printed the money gave it to the banks and then they gave it to us wouldn't that just be better right. and that's exactly where we're at and if you're going to have a world like that then you got to say okay well how do we know who to give the money to and that's where esg comes in it's right. well if you have a high ESG score, then you get the money. If you don't, then you're out. And this is, so it all makes sense if you start from market forces have gone out the window in a lot of cases, and now we're just dealing yeah. with cronyism and corruption and endless printing of money, and that's the foundation. Right. That's why I always describe ESG and all of these different things that relate to it as the biggest cronyist system ever devised by man. And all of these things just seem to be tentacles off that main Leviathan monster. Jim, I'm going to give you final words on this. We're running out of time. No, I think that's exactly correct. And the enemy to these people is freedom. 
You're not supposed to have it. You can't have a free market because then uh, people and businesses will make decisions that are not approved by those people that are in power. It's always against freedom. They're always afraid of your freedom. Uh, always remember that and work to preserve it. Absolutely. All right. Fantastic. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode of In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. Like I said, for those audio-only listeners that are catching the show on a Friday, you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time, where we are live streaming on Facebook and Twitter and Rumble and YouTube. You can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the live chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. And also, you could help out our channel just by doing a handful of things that won't cost you a penny, only it'll cost you a couple of seconds. One is hitting that subscribe button if you haven't already, sharing this content, uh, leaving a comment underneath the video or just hitting that like button all help break through those big tech algorithms and prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Jim Likely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Fantastic. Justin Haskins, same question. At Justin T. Haskins on Facebook, Twitter, Parlor, Getter, and at stoppingsocialism.com fantastic all right thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of the in the tank podcast join us next week